folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is yours, Precluse, a.k.a. Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visit Blog and author of a special relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visitview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, dot blogspot, also all one word, dot com. And procure a copy of that book, Amount of Works, at the Farm's official store, which is at eFarmPodcast. That is eFarmPodcast, all one word, dot store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. At the lowest tier, you get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. And our all-access patrons have access to the Farm's monthly Zoom party meeting, my State of the Union addresses, periodic write-ups, dispatches from all the adventures I have, insights into the research that's ongoing over here, and all kinds of other goodies. It's a lot of material, guys, so definitely give that a consideration here. All right, I have got a repeater with me. All right, today's guest is making her maiden appearance on the farm. For over two decades, she has worked as a writer, producer, researcher, story, and writing consultant for Universal Studios, HBO Max, Lionsgate, and 20th Century Fox and Ed Solomon Productions. She has contributed to feature to the feature film No Sudden Move, the HBO miniseries Mosaic, and is the story editor for the upcoming HBO Max Steven Soderbergh series Full Circle, which I, for one, cannot wait to see i've heard some incredible things about it it is going to be fabulous guys folks i give you the great laura shapiro laura thank you so much for dropping by this evening well i am a longtime listener so i am thrilled to be here thank you for having me and i am thrilled to have you here all right guys this is going to be an amazing show it's a little more philosophical than a normal farm outing which is just fine with me Sometimes we need to think about the big questions. So on that note, I've addressed the notion of disenchantment and reenchantment here before on occasion, but here we're going to go all out with these concepts to explain what humanity lost around the time of the Industrial Revolution and what we're potentially gaining again in the digital age. Using the philosopher Charles Taylor's notions of a secular age as a launching point, we're going to explore the profound differences between the secular world and what came before it, the real deism played in the transformation, the failure of movements such as the Romantics and magical realists to reverse the course, and how technology, once the bane of enchantment, is fueling the re-enchantment. <laughs> Well, that's an irony, isn't it? <laughs> so, on that note, let's start the show.
So a concept we are going to be hearing a lot about is enchantment, as well as disenchantment and re-enchantment. So let's apply some definitions to these concepts before we really dig in. And also, Laura, why don't you tell us um, how you became personally interested in such notions as well, as uh, often there's a good story behind these kinds of things. Well, it goes back to um, when I was very young. Um, and... I've always been, my, I was not really raised with any religion. My parents were agnostic at best, though they wouldn't even, we just didn't even, there wasn't any concept of religion. And I actually was hungry for it. I was, I, I knew that there was something else. And when I was around 13 years old, I, I started uh, Gateway Drug, reading Colin Wilson and his book mysteries which was a follow-up to the occult and went deeper into mysticism as opposed to occultism and esotericism in general and i devoured it and as i have done now for the rest of my life i followed the footnotes and anyone who's read wilson knows that there are that the, his footnotes are wonderful and uh, the, uh, and I started reading source material and by the, and by the time I was in my 20s I had covered wide ranges of information about of every of all kinds of I, all kinds of esoteric and religious and mystical studies and I found it very easy personally to put myself into a mystical state, a trance state, a meditative state. And it turns out, as I have found out much later in life, I am not neurotypical. And I have possibly um, an innate bent towards such things, which got me very interested in the science behind that. And I started studying both neurology and quantum physics. And that brings us to the moment when I discovered Charles Taylor. Uh, in 2007, he put out a book called A Secular Age, which was kind of the culmination of all of his work. Um, it, uh, it's very long. Um, he was a very knowledgeable, respected professor of philosophy. And this is kind of his, uh, his big theory. And it's completely on the topic of enchantment and disenchantment. And essentially what he said, and what was the light bulb over my head was um, the concept of buffered and porous minds. And I'm going to read you read the two paragraphs that I read that put every rearranged everything in terms of my thinking about this. Modern Westerners, he wrote, have a clear boundary between mind and world, even mind and body. Moral and other meaning, meanings are in the mind. They cannot reside outside and thus the boundary is firm, but formally it was not so. 
let us take a well-known example of influence inhering in an inanimate substance. But that, what he means is um, enchantment, the a animating the uh, a thing, no, seeing the uh, seeing, or you could say seeing God in everything. You could say the spirit of the world. There's many ways to talk about it, um, uh, but. It was as this was understood in what was understood in earlier times. Consider melancholy, which by that he means depression, something that I have a lot of experience with. Black bile was not the cause of melancholy, it embodied, it was melancholy. The emotional life was porous here. It didn't simply exist in an inner mental space. Our vulnerability to the evil, the inwardly destructive, extended to more than just spirits that are malevolent. It went beyond them to things that have no wills but are nevertheless the less redolent with evil meanings. See the contrast. A modern is feeling depressed, melancholy. He is told it's just your body chemistry, you're hungry, or there's a hormone malfunction, or whatever. Straight away, he feels relieved. He can take a distance from this feeling. Things don't really have this meaning. It just feels this way. It disengages you. The contrast between the pre-modern is not helped by learning that his mood comes from black bile because it doesn't permit a distancing. Black bile is melancholy. Now he just knows he's in the grips of the real thing. It, there is no boundary. You are not buffered. You are porous. Things from the other realm, uh, from other sides, from the other realm come in because you don't have that, you don't have a firm boundary. Being porous is vulnerable. Being buffered takes you out of the fear. So humans became more and more buffered. And I just really resonated to that. And I read that because that it is not that 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 enchantment is being porous. Being open to enchantment means being porous. And my immediate thought was how can this, it, it, this is about brain plasticity. This is about the idea that it's not just a different way of looking at things that the human brain has fundamentally changed. And that launched me off into everything else. Okay, before we uh, get too far into that, let's uh, take a bit of a meta view on how some of mm -hmm. these ideals developed over the course of time. So. First off, what is the commonality of mystical expanses in human culture slash history throughout the ages here? Well, all cultures have some form of mystical experience. In my opinion, it is a state of brain chemistry that makes you more receptive to the, the unknown, the numinous, the other side. Could that be just something in our own heads in a secular place? Sure, maybe. Or it could be that there are things that we cannot yet, cannot completely perceive. 
that exist on other levels. And every culture has this. Every culture has some idea of that. And they also have methodologies for achieving contact with the other side, piercing the veil, whatever one might want to call it, that involve changing a person's brain chemistry, whether it's fasting, meditation, drugs, sex, <laughs> um, um, you know, extremes, walkabouts, the, the Australian Aboriginal tradition of going on walkabout, Native Americans have similar vision quest practices, sweat lodge, um, whirling dervishes dancing until they drop. It all involves working your brain chemistry up to a place where you experience what a cynic might say is just essentially the, you know, your, your brain on drugs or your brain creating its own drugs, or it is allowing the brain to regain that porosity that Taylor is talking about. That is something that is natural to humans, but that ha we have that has been weakened, uh, um, and and in a way almost bred out of us through through thousands of years of secular thought. I'm glad you brought up dance movements uh, mm -hmm. on that regard. That's one that I kind of think has often been uh, overlooked. I've been researching Gurdjieff a little bit lately. Yes, Gurdjieff is, Gurdjieff is a great example of that. That is exactly what Gurdjieff was doing. Exactly. Uh, I, uh, I, and thanks for bringing, bringing that up. If you, Gurdjieff was, was someone I studied very deeply at the beginnings of my interest in all of this and definitely influences my thinking. Um, the dervishes, for instance, were, were um, Gurdjieff actually studied with them. If you've ever seen um, the movie Meetings with Remarkable Men, which is based on his memoir of those times, it's a really wonderful um, depiction of that. Yeah, no, I think that's also at the root, too, of, um, you know, some of the traditional deities uh, from antiquity mm -hmm. that were often depicted as dancing, especially in, I believe it's Hinduism, where it's yes. uh, fairly common for the deities to be dancing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but yeah. And, uh, yeah, and you have it in, I mean, dance is huge in so many cultures. And again, because it creates that physiological mm -hmm. change. Uh, no, I know when I was younger, one of the a couple of times that I actually did go into full blown trance, it was when I was doing this just sort of quasi tense thing I used to do mm -hmm. when I was like eight or nine years old. But yes, I, I often thought that that was uh, just one of the easiest ways to sort of induce that state. Well, and I mean, you look at um, that's what um, all you know, all the acid doctors. That's what Leary was doing. Leary was, you know, uh, the the psychedelic experience. The book that that um, Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, later to become Ram Das, wrote that brought these ideas. Everyone was based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It was a methodology for taking LSD that used the steps uh, Tibetans developed to guide one into the afterlife as a model for how to go on an acid trip. 
it was not about abusing drugs. It was about creating a mystical experience. It became perverted, but the initial impetus was absolutely that. It seems like a good point here to bring up the significance of deism. Uh, Charles mm -hmm. Taylor actually pointed that as a crucial turning point, which I found to be quite fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So how does that relate to what we've been talking about? Well, it, you know, the deism is the be is in some ways the beginnings of secularism. It, it's um, we talk about uh, Christianity talked about grace which is a spiritual, the spiritual concept of grace, which is another word for an experience of God, which is another word for what we are talking about. It, it, an experience of grace was a, it, it, you know, perceived as a moment of revelation of, of epiphany. Um, deism brought reason into it. Um, it's God's plan, not, not, there isn't a mystery, right? It's, um, it is about, uh, it, it is the beginning of the enlightenment in many ways, which was a good thing and necessary, but it was also to, in my opinion, and maybe a necessary action at the time, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We needed reason and enlightenment. We needed the civil, the civilizing force of that, the technology, the systems, the thought beyond religion. But uh, absolutely. But at the same time, we lost it. it be, that became a god. The, the idea of reason became a god that was worshipped. And secularism became a belief system that rejected the idea that, uh, uh, that that there was another reality another way of being to my mind i mean this represented a profound trauma to the human psyche as well mm -hmm. um i mean obviously it's very fashionable nowadays to uh lament the uh decline of antiquity uh in terms of uh, the advent of the christian era and so forth mm -hmm. and obviously that was a change for uh those who went through it but I mean, the overall worldview, you know, you still, I think, largely saw the world in a similar fashion. You're attributing mm -hmm. maybe some of the, the mysticism to different forces, but you still have this kind of magical outlook, whereas that was just really swept away in the 17th century and frequently yeah. a pretty violent fashion with the 30-year war. And also mm -hmm. you have the peace of Westphalia, the you know, rise of the modern nation state. Uh, people going into cities for factory jobs after you know most yeah. of humanity had lived in farms and royal environments. It was just profound, I think, what that this did to us on an emotional and psychological and mental level. Uh, absolutely. It actually goes back to some degree to Protestantism. Protestantism took the supernatural out of Christianity. Mm -hmm. You are no longer, uh, the transubstantiation is not a thing. Transubstantiation is magic. You're eating. You're not eating the symbolic body of Christ and drinking the symbolic blood of Christ when you take communion. You are. You are. You are spiritually speaking, eating, communing with the actual spiritual on a spiritual level, or or a non-physical um, level. 
that 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 is in essence supernatural if you take that out then it's then then it's then you have lost that it also was political it was about not who gets to control the concept of religion, which was in terms of Christianity, a political force. It was a force that that uh, you know um, that that organized the world in terms of how people think, and and uh, and you, and you get into all of the religions that it that evangel various forms of evangelical or missionary work. If, uh, that that it just devoured and subsumed the religions of the people that were conquering. So you go and you you want so you say this God that you that you worship, they're really the saint. So you can be a Catholic and still worship your God. So you you just pray to the saints now, and so you have subsumed that that other religion, possibly a pantheistic religion. In, into your lexicon of saints and and it, it, so you it, it it was about and and so it was about control about creating an intermediary between the person and god in the form of the institution and as soon as you do that you have cut off a lot and a lot of that is actually political as well as spiritual or intellectual absolutely now like briefly uh let's get into some of the attempts to revive uh this earlier worldview i mean a lot mm -hmm. of it was especially uh significant in various artistic movements the romantics with the magical realists come to mind yes uh, but where did these uh, how did these efforts fail because they were all still secular they are they it's still if if you take taylor's thesis that which was that that sparked my journey down this path if you take taylor's thesis where he says this is that that you that there is no division between if you if you if you take taylor's thesis if you were to take someone from the middle ages and show them in a microscope that the disease they have is caused by this virus and you can see it and they they have been saying the devil is in me they would not say oh okay it's a virus not a devil they just say well that's the devil it took that form uh, they would still ascribe meaning and intent In a way that, in a way that they, there's no possibility of that division in that mind, and and that is, uh, and if you take that to, out of the specific of that virus is the devil, and more to, into the idea of things that we cannot see affecting us and having meaning and intent as opposed to being random then they they still the secular once you have the secular mind that says there's a division between that you don't you can't go back at least not without great effort 
And I think I'm not sure that they completely fail. They, I think they, I would, I would maintain that in terms of romanticism that we could list numerous authors, artists, etc., who for themselves as an individual, the creation of that art brought them back to that mental state. It didn't change society necessarily. And the reason it didn't is that you can't get back to that state by reading a, a poem a romanticist wrote. You have to write the poem or do so. It, it's, it's, a, it's an individual activity that, that deals with the individual's brain there by interpreting something somebody else wrote. It made me think of like the chaos magicians and their interest mm -hmm. in Crowley, which wasn't really so much based upon his, you know, stuff he take to ceremonial magic. It was his actual lifestyle that they were fascinated yes. by. Yes. How he lived his life, which is what they thought was the real value. Yes, and and I think that that's true. I think that um, I I also subscribe to that. By the way, um, I I am I and and chaos magic is definitely a part of is is absolutely it's actually to my mind a very pure in some ways attempt at at reenchantment. It's it it's stripping away all of the ideas of um, the the trappings and saying make your own. Figure out your own symbols, make your own sigil. You don't have to use a sigil that somebody made in the Middle Ages to be authentic. You make your own. Anything can, with the correct focus, intentionality, right? With the correct intention and focus can become a magical object, can become a, a, a gateway to the other side. All cultures have the other side. All cultures have some idea of something that exists beyond the veil. No, I've very much found that to be true in my own life. I mean, um, you know, really, since I started making a consorted effort to really get out into the world and act out on a lot of these things, I've mm -hmm. certainly noticed that... Uh, it does lead uh, to a lot of what you're talking about, and certainly, I think, a very different perspective on the world. But, I mean, this is kind of increasingly why I've tried to do a lot of these trips and things of these natures and enlist more yes. and more people, um, you know, from uh, the website, from the podcast and what have you in them, because we're of a similar mindset. And I've actually found, you know, when I just kind of throw these things together almost spontaneously and get everybody out there and... You know, we just kind of wing it and it turns into just really a remarkable experience. And some of the stuff that's turned up is just. Uh... Well, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You have to wing it. If you plan it, that it, you, you're not tapping. If you plan it too much, you're not tapping into that side. It's the ra that that rationality of feeling the need to have everything planned out. Right. Shuts down the other the, the other parts of your brain yeah that it's the same thing it, what we're talking about on the macro right in terms of culture is that happens in, on in on the the personal level within us and you have to be truly open to that and um is 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 very interesting and i have a I'm just beginning to figure out what it is about my particular brain that allows me to tap into these things in a different way. Um, 
I don't completely understand it. I I have it, my um, many many years ago. I was working on a book um, about um, uh, with with um, someone who is still a dear friend about um, Zen Buddhism and um, and um, addiction. It was uh, he was someone who had been through a twelve step program and also become a Zen Buddhist, and he was wanted to write about those things and we were working on that together and he invited me to go to a, a meditation retreat where you did not speak for the entire weekend and meditated eight hours a day i had never meditated more than an hour um getting me to shut up is hard <laughs> so it, and i was completely able to do it I sat down and I started meditating and I just was, it was really easy to sit there for, for eight hours. And he was kind of floored. And it, and we were talking about it and it was really, that was one of the first times in that conversation and in that experience and what the experience of just doing that for eight hours was that I realized that possibly I had, that, that there was something about me that was not the same as other people in that regard that i when i was a kid i used to do it naturally and i called it walking around in my head to me it feels like a place and it is boundless and i can stay there for as long as need be um i haven't tested that theory <laughs> in terms of really long times but you know what i mean uh so i think i think that this is, in my opinion, this is about training one's brain, about brain capacity, about, and that there, it, it, there, it has always been that people who were not neurotypical were the seers, right? Were, and in some cultures, they were honored. Native American culture, for instance, recognize, many Native American cultures recognize the value of the lunatic in the, yeah, the you know, outsider the outsider but also i use lunatic sort of poetically in the idea that it's that the moon has influence on that no that's very good no no definitely and, and because it is very much about if you're piercing the veil right um then the division between the idea that you can be affected by the phases of the moon which we actually know is true we are affected by the phases of the moon um we're mostly water and the moon has a pull on water and we uh, we might not be able to perceive it but we are affected by it and that's the problem we're no longer maybe my my idea is that we used to be more able to perceive these things that our brains were actually different would you want to get into that now, like how our brain yeah. essentially physically changed to the point that it's made us well, it's so difficult for us to pierce the veil? And and the, and this is um, this is I think though Taylor doesn't use neurological terms. This is what he's talking about. We've all heard about 
stories about brain plasticity in the context of someone has a head injury and it damages the part of their brain that controls say a motor function or something like that and the brain can can you can actually retrain your brain to use a different part of the brain for that same function that your brain will remap itself to compensate for the injury it's and like that it can have stroke or something right like exactly exactly or a car accident or you get shot in the head or you know sorry i'm from I hollywood so you know think about things like shooting people in the head as a as a flat device um but um you there, i mean there are there there and the brain actually physically changes it, within those within that it's not just it's using a different part of the brain but you but if you can actually the brain actually it, it remolds itself in really in very interesting ways and it does you can do that in one human with within months or years so what does that mean in terms of generations if it, it's it's like a you know that that we stopped because of the way the outer culture changed we stopped perceiving we stopped thinking about in the same way about these things stopped trying to pierce the veil stopped assuming that anyone could do it because we because religious figures and institutions were intermediaries between us and 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 that place call it one could call it god or call it something else but that you don't you, you can't just do it on your own go out and meditate in 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 the desert um and and work your body into extremists in order to change your brain chemistry so that you could access this stuff, these this place um that that is that 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 you could go to that the and that and and so our brains over many generations changed and we stopped being able to perceive those things that's the idea and we can and that some people always because they are born different um and their brains are different can be a throwback at least to some degree to that and that so that then begs the question well what if you want if, if you're someone who meditates all the time are you affecting your brain and is your brain changing and that brings to mind um, some a story that I heard Ram Das, formerly Richard Alpert, um, Harvard professor, LS, original OG LSD researcher, alongside Timothy Leary, who then be, went to India and um, uh, studied with a guru, and then came back and wrote a book called "Be Here Now," which changed the way almost everyone thinks in terms of um, being present and in the moment in that concept um, and became very famous. And he, I, I produced an event many, many years ago that he spoke at and he told a story about getting, giving LSD to his guru in India. So he goes to India and he, you know, they, they had talked about it and, he, and they drop acid and they sit and meditate and they meditate for a long time. And after it was over, he said to his, he said, well, what did you think? 
And he says, eh, I go there every day on my own. I would submit that that teacher who taught Ram Das probably altered his own brain chemistry through decades of doing that, his own brain structure, not just chemistry. That that is an example of, of brain plasticity moving back towards having a porous brain. He didn't need acid. He just went there whenever he wants. Is it possible too, though, that we're maybe looking at this from something of a, maybe a bit of a Western bias? Because my understanding is that like in Japanese culture, for instance, like scientists have always been much more open uh, to the sort of metaphysics and that type of mm -hmm. thing. And I believe there's also kind of a similar thing in India as well. I'm sure there is. Because they yeah. were never, you know, they never really embraced, I think, secular yeah. quite to the well, extent. They were never, they were, they were never successfully Christianized. That would point. The, 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 that that it is it it is the Christian. I mean, I, I, there may be other religions as well, but the um, secular aspects of Christianity conquering the world or attempting to conquer the world and and um, proselytizing the religion as part of that. Um, it it I mean, just as it, it was politically, it also was it was in terms of how one practices the religion. There we are. There is an intermediary between. There is an intermediary and a powerful structure, and it's dictated from on high, and you are limited in how you can participate in this, and that makes it really hard to have that direct experience so yes of course that's true but i but i do think given where the culture is now in terms of technology so uh, yes i do think that but i also think that the entire world at this point is secularized in in a way that is uh, they may be less affected i don't think it's a uh, binary yeah, you can't really escape it at this point because of yeah. the important also because Western culture is so pervasive, especially in the scientific field and that I yeah. think innate bias in it. Well, and, and in the context of both India and Japan, those are both highly technological cultures. Yeah. Um, if, you, if, you are talk, if you want to talk about um, cultures that are less technological in terms of the um, mindset, what I think you, you there are certainly other cultures to look at, but then you all you know, that that have um, you know, I, I think African cultures, whether they're diasporic or or uh, in on the content of Africa, for instance, even though they have been evangelized, have stayed more connected, possibly because of the isolation, possibly because of racism. Yeah. which is in which is it which is very interesting yeah yeah no absolutely well i mean i and, think it's yeah. also the you know kind of the creation of the outsider or the other i mean that's yeah. always a yeah. people that tend yeah. to be yeah. more closer spiritually but but if you look at if we look at the um the living traditions um that are still practicing these kinds of connections a lot of them are connected back to the african continent which is where everything started 
That's where life started. That's where Christ, you know, Judaism and Christianity started in the, you know, at the at the top at the at the top of the continent, right there, right. Well, there's also uh, Egyptian religion as well. Egyptian religion. I mean, everything is. Uh, it, it's quite interesting to me, from an evolutionary point of view, that the the. the um, that 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 is closest to where the human race started and that that the culture that still exists around that place is the one that's close is is the one that has hung on the longest to enchantment even after being converted to christianity more so than other cultures voodoo for instance where you'll have uh, you know, traditional um, African gods as saints, and that the Catholicism is all worked in with to to create its own syncretic practice. Well, I mean, I think it's also just partly Protestantism specifically, because I mean, it really isn't surprising to me that Protestantism has usually uh, been at the heart of a lot of countries that have embraced atheism and secularism yeah. to the most extreme. Whereas Catholicism and Orthodoxy, I mean, they you know they never really totally did away with the mysticism. Right. That's what. Yes, exactly. That's what you know. The the you know what I which is exactly what I was talking about with the idea of of you know that Protestantism is the dividing line to me, more than anything else. So even before industrialization, right? It, it's um, because it was about. And what and what's interesting is that it's both the dividing line and it was in some ways about democratizing faith, right? You no longer, you know, mass is no longer in Latin. You things are that 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 the books are accessible to everyone because they're written in your language, not in the language of the church. Um, and so it sort of had a good idea, which is everyone ever ever that we shouldn't be so beholden to this this structure right this power structure but what was the actual of... experience of mass though that was important especially mm -hmm. you know, if you got to see it at one of those gorgeous you know gothic uh, absolutely with the absolutely. Yep. And, mm -hmm. you know it kind of i mean it, I, yes i mean absolutely it was an ascent an attempt to democratize it to bring it to the masses so that it could understand it but it also essentially i think missed the point of why it, did, it, was, it was it disenchanted important. it it yes, disenchanted yes. it. You instead you don't have a cathedral with bounding wall, you know, ceilings and stained glass and this, you know, physical sense of of the divine in that way. Um, there was a lot of austerity in pro in a lot of forms of Protestantism, um, and so yeah, it's. Um, it it's it it it, it 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 almost was disenchantment as political statement that's why i mean i find like russian culture very fascinating in this regard because i mean they went from orthodoxy to uh, you know theoretically atheistic communism but they were never able 
to snuff out uh, the mystical uh, bent of the people. And even within yeah. the scientific field, I mean, they always had that kind of cosmicist element. And because so many prominent yeah. scientists subscribed to it throughout the Soviet era, they could just, they could never get rid of it totally. Well, uh, I don't I don't know that we would, that our side in the Cold War would have ever gotten into the kind of studies that MKUltra and Bluebird and all of the other projects did if the russians weren't into it yeah yeah and the nazis for that matter too. and and the and the nazis but but by the time those things started at least in theory the nazis were we were done with the nazis they were our friends now helping us start a space program <laughs> so yeah 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 but i mean yeah the russians have been really pushing that though going all the way back to the 20s so i mean yeah. certainly yeah. even in the very early onset of communism there was within the you know very hierarchy of the scientific community there was a peculiar mm -hmm. obsession with some of this stuff the whole especially nanosphere and that kind of thing yeah 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 and i i don't think i don't i i, I think that there there was there i mean eastern orthodoxy in general seems to me to be more um to be closer to enchantment and so and then even even the catholic church and and i don't think that you lose that just because you say we're rejecting the church which again i think was more a political statement than a spiritual one in at that point in terms of the communist revolution in russia oh absolutely um but okay so getting back to how like our brains changed did you have yes. anything else to add on that well okay so let's say that due to brain plasticity that over generations and generations and generations it it's like scar tissue you know, in it, or you know, that's I'm using that as a metaphor, not real scar tissue in the brain, but just that it's it's there. There's there's a thickness. It's protective. Taylor talks about it how being porous and open to all of this is scary. It's frightening. It's dangerous. Um, and being buffered is protective i mean literally that's what being buffered is it's a protection right and and you uh, and so you um and so the world became more and more dangerous and we needed on, on a larger scale and and we became more and more buffered and how do you and so the brain goes through then the, the brain has changed how do we get it back is it possible to get it back and as I said, my the, the the idea that you can retrain your brain um, to uh, have a motor movement work again because you need a different part of your brain to do it, and you can do that within a relatively short period in a human lifetime, says to me that if we want to really fo if someone wants to really focus on changing their brain and moving towards. Uh, 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 that kind that kind of perception that you can do it you just have to figure out how and you know the ramdas story tells us that long long meditate long lifelong practice of meditation might get you there and i think that the other stories of people the modern world you have all of these different technologies that we can use to get there. And I started exploring that. And 
uh, I feel like I should digress just shortly and talk about my involvement with the acid doctors, because that's sort of where I am right now in the story. Well, go for it. So when I was um, in my early 20s, I was um, introduced to a man named Oscar Janiger. Oscar Janiger was a psychiatrist. He was a clinical psychiatrist, and he had been one of the major LSD researchers in the 50s and early 60s, a group of scientists, the famous ones, Timothy Leary, Richard Alpert, but there are, um, there were many, many others. And it and there were all kinds of extremely promising work that was being done with depression, um, with other kinds of emotional disorders, also with non, uh, Oscar did a study that, that um, on creativity, where he worked with artists, and he was very much part of the sort of west side of Los Angeles art scene in the early 50s and six, in the late 50s and early 60s. So you have a lot of really famous artists who are part of that part of that world people who uh, I think Ed Roche and some of the other people who absolutely abstract artists, there was a whole sort of Venice, California scene. And um, he had them all draw their, they had a, a, a Hopi Kachina doll. And so before they started the, to drop the acid, they would draw a, a, a realistic picture of it. And then as they were going through the acid trip, they would draw, they would have, they would draw, right? <laughs> and you would see the progression of what uh, of how their perception changed and there have been art exhibits of this work etc that was one of the projects he was most known for and so he was completely tied into for generations some of the most amazing people in los angeles that art scene he was very good friends with aldous huxley and laura huxley aldous's wife and then his widow and Huxley famously took LSD as he was dying in the moment during the moment of death he was tripping Oscar was the person who gave him the gave the I mean actually Laura Huxley gave it to him but Oscar was the person who delivered it to them um he also was Allen Ginsberg's first cousin so so you can imagine the social scene um I was asked to, so through meeting Oscar, I asked, I, he knew I was at the time in the music business and I was an event producer. And he asked me to produce a series of events launching an organization called the Albert Hoffman Foundation. Albert Hoffman, for those of us who, who don't know, invented LSD. Um, and what Oscar had done was organize all of these scientists who had done all of this meaningful research to get together to petition Congress, and this was late 80s, to petition Congress to uh, make the research legal again. A lot of the scientists who had done early LSD research had gone on to do other things and become major, major leaders in their field, people who were revered. And so it was a very impressive group of people. And they pooled all their research and put a library together, which still exists. It's in the possession of an organization called MAPS now, which is actually involved in doing decades later what they were trying to do, which is getting 
the research legalized in this country again. Through Oscar, I met everyone. I met Timothy Leary. I met Albert Hoffman. I met Terence McKenna. I met all, um, oh, and most importantly to this story going forward, John Lilly. Uh, John Lilly was probably the craziest of them. When I met him, he was on ketamine almost 100% of the time. And he was rather elderly. He, uh, and he wrote a book about it. <laughs> he essentially put himself into that, that state that we are talking about 100% of the time using a drug. He experiment, was experimenting on himself. He was also using it to cure, he said it cured his migraines, which is very possible. I mean, there are a lot of medical uses for ketamine, so that's completely possible. And um, he also thought that it affected his cancer, which he ultimately died of. I'm not sure that's true. But um, he was, and, and, and um, Lily was very famous. There have been um, many movies made about the different things he's done. Altered States, which is a movie completely germane to this conversation that everyone should watch. Um, I'm really second that it is a freaking great movie. Well, the William Hurt character, the main character, and the research itself, it's all modeled on Lily. It's all based on Lily's life and work. Um, the Day of the Dolphin, um, which is an earlier movie with George C. Scott playing a scientist who's who has learned how to communicate with dolphins, and the dolphins are being used as um, bomb delivery and espionage, and for espionage, um, it's a thriller. That's based on Lily's work. So before he was, you know, or in the middle of taking the drugs, he was also learning how to talk to dolphins. I mean, he was an amazing man who chose to end his life with his brain completely in this other state through use of a drug. And so through all of these people, and you know, I'm in my 20s and they're in their 60s and 70s and 80s. It was an interesting experience. Um, but I learned a huge amount about both the madness uh, uh, that, that this kind of quest can uh, bring you to, Lily as the example of that, to, to the, the science of it. These were the leading people in the world at the time. And I, and, and I brought all of that through, you know, as I, within my interest with all of this. So I produced several events that launched that organization, met all those guys, etc. And um, then I, and, and it really propelled me along the, the, that path of there is science to this that can be figured out. That this is not just some kind of antiquated idea about how the world works. And I have gone down that path. And one of the big things that had, so I, in my own life, have gone through a lot of searching for about my own mental state 
and I have very recently and therefore very late in life been diagnosed as non-neurotypical and I have figured out that I was misdiagnosed hugely um, through most of my life in that any the depression etc was not was a symptom not a cause the cause is uh, the and that's very true of a lot of a lot of people who are not neurotypical and the ups the upside of that is that i started dealing with it chemically and about a year almost it'll be two years ago in june i had an extensive course of ketamine therapy so i went back to the, the, that concept that Lily was living and ketamine therapy, it's not the same as um, using it as a club drug. It, there's actually more than one kind of ketamine just to begin with. And also the difference between an, um, a high dose infusion in your arm and anything you might take in any other way is it's just a different experience um and it put me straight into the other side it did exactly what we're talking about and one of the things i had one of the revelations i had which i um is after the first time i did it i came back and i said so this is what dying is like it was the first thing i said to the doctor this is what dying, this must be what death is like. And I felt really happy because I'm, I'm sort of in there thinking about that and thinking, well, okay, I can handle that. And as someone who's a cancer survivor, you have to think about death in a different way. So it, it's, uh, and so I found it very comforting. And it was not dissimilar to the experience of meditating for eight hours. It was more, but it felt kind of the same, that sense of walking around in my head. And I had a lot of, uh, and so that's, that. what that told me is there are, that, the, that it, it reinforced the thesis, which is that this is something that everyone's brain is capable of that we used to be closer to it and that our our mental health collectively has been hugely damaged by by being cut off from it now do you want to get into um how quantum physics interacts with the brain at this point here yeah sure let's talk about that i mean this is very theoretical and um and very um i mean the thing about um you know um brain chemistry and um i mean a lot of these this is you can study you can and you know that's provable obviously the question of quantum physics does not it's not provable it's not provable but what you have i mean it is provable not provable how it interacts with the brain yet but the idea and a lot of people have seen this that the idea of quantum entanglement which quite simply is that 
thing that that items that have that 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 objects items things that have been connected remain connected even if they are physically apart in other words once you that uh, once you link you never unlinked basically and and that there is possibility of connection well what is that but but some form but a form of sympathetic magic so you need a person's hair to cast a spell on them and and the idea that the hair remains connected on some level it is it, it, uh, 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 and so quantum entanglement for a long time was considered to be a theory that might not really exist einstein famously called it spooky action at a distance which is you know he even he rep recognized the supernatural aspect of the idea right and um so i uh, but and but it has been in very recent years like just a few demonstrated in a laboratory in quantum physics so we are just beginning to to lightly brush the surface of what we might be able to figure out about uh, with understanding of the quantum uh, of quantum physics what if part of what got changed in the human brain was a sensitivity to things happening at the quantum level and that sensitivity was still it was still hard you still need need to work really hard to get to that place or take a drug or whatever and and, and not everyone could do it but it was more reachable then because the, our brains were different because we could sense it and and because we could sense it we created ideas that exist in every culture to explain what we were sensing and we also were drawn to it so we wanted to go there and so we created methodologies which again have commonalities in every culture in my opinion it's a human thing not a cultural thing the cultural differences are window dressing um and uh, that 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 we want to get back there we want to feel that that's what I experienced with the ketamine. That's what I experienced with um, the meditation. That's what I have experienced with other methodologies that I've used um, to try to figure that out and figure out reliable ways of getting there. That's what Ramdas's um, teacher in India got, was able to get himself to every day just by sitting down to meditate. So that's one aspect of quantum physics, which is that sense of quantum entanglement. Another aspect of quantum physics that's very interesting is the concept of time, the idea that time, all, all time is happening simultaneously, and that, that the, the, the progression of time is the way our brains, the, we have to deal with the world that way, which is very hard to wrap your mind around. But if that is the case then the idea of a seer being able to see into the future or or see into the past makes a lot more sense if it's all really there at the same time and you just have to know how to access it 
then there's also the question of the multiple worlds theory in quantum physics, multiple dimensions, that every choice you make, every decision you make splits off a new reality. Wonderfully um, um, shown, by the way, by my favorite movie of this year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It's literally what that movie is, it, 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 it does, talks about in in a very entertaining way yes that is a great movie i will second that notion and and but that's literally the the that's what everything everywhere all at once means that's what the title of that movie means um and uh the multiple worlds multiple dimensions everything things splits off uh, and that you can also find um correlations in that idea in all kinds of traditional cultures. Well, yes, I was thinking about how in, uh, you know, a lot of the cosmos, the Eastern woodland tribes, um, mm -hmm. obviously they have this sort of three-layered world with the upper world, Middle Earth, and the uh, underworld, but they also right. have the whole right. concept of the other world, which essentially was a, a kind of doppelganger universe where time moved backwards and so forth. So Right, right. You know, and, and so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that what if our brains used to be able used to be different and be able to sense that at some level and we created stories because we are storytellers right to explain those things we were sensing and we also created and also going to those places feels good we want to go there we want to find that place and so we created methodologies for doing that. Um, in a way, you could say that's what art is. Well, also, too, to interject for a second, um, I think I, we had uh, briefly discussed this, but I know there's been some recent um, uh, developments uh, indicating that our brains might possibly even use quantum computation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which in fact enables us to subconsciously do certain functions uh, in advance before our brains are aware of it. I mean, almost like kind of anticipating it in the future. But it's it's an interesting notion because obviously I'm sure you've heard some of the comparisons of quantum computers or not comparisons but mm -hmm. descriptions of quantum computers going into other dimensions and this kind of right. thing right. i mean it right. almost you know raises that possibility did we previously have the access to do that with our brains much easier and now well, we're yeah. trying to rediscover yeah. it yeah that's what i i think i i mean certainly in terms of the um the the cognitive dissidence that rationalism creates in our brains to uh, for the brains of a lot of people to 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 even thinking about these things in this way um i mean it, it's uh it, it is um would not be there right you wouldn't have to go through that barrier that that the culture the society sets up and i'm positing uh, one of the things about the ketamine therapy for depression that that fascinated me there was a study done at harvard where they traumatized some mice and half of them they gave them gave ketamine and half of them they didn't and then they dissected everyone's brain and the mice that had ketamine had the mice that didn't have ketamine had lesions in their brains that weren't there in the control group 
in the in the you know that 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 there was a control group that was not not traumatized and then traumatized and then traumatized and then given a drug the 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 my there were lesions created by physical changes in the brain lesions created by the trauma and then those physical lesions were healed by the drug in other words the ketamine therapy actually healed my brain and it was it was it, i could feel it immediately the difference i have i've had i i i i have complex ptsd or had maybe i don't have it anymore i don't know complex ptsd and it i it, and and that's fascinating we don't think of the brain as as an organ that is injured by emotion by experience by a non-physical force but it is well, no, and I mean, I, you know, I think we can even see signs of that uh, when you sort of get into like the collective intergenerational trauma that we've mm -hmm. experienced since the rise of the mm -hmm. secular age. I mean, just look at the concurrent rise in uh, warfare and just the sheer uh, scale of it. The horrendous well, it, 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 there, have been, there have been studies. It's called epigenetic trauma, and it absolutely does change the brain. There are studies. Um, that I mean, it's that's uh, that is something that that has been provable in recent years, um, and and it, it is passed down, and so you will find you know certain groups of people that that are much more susceptible to having an extreme reaction to trauma, for instance. Um, that, so it's both. It, it it both has changed the brain, but also maybe weakened certain parts of it, weakened certain defenses, which makes it more likely that that the damage will be more serious. So all of these things, you know, this quest for reenchantment, if you that that's that's happening all over. If you do a search online, there's writing everywhere about it. Might indeed be a response to we're in you know that's talking about uh you know the, everything is connected right we are in uh, an accelerated period of societal trauma and that is being inflicted upon us in to some degree by in by powerful individuals who want to exacerbate it and and that's not even a conspiracy theory they talk about it you know, it's 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 a feature, not a bug, um, and it's happening all over the world. And and the technologies, uh, both 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 um, emphasizing everything and all and 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 speeding everything up, and also affecting our brains. Right, the idea that the 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 symbolism and uh, there there uh, 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 of a lot of what's going on there's a lot of symbolic assault right going on in the world right now that 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 is affecting how we perceive things and so we are we're starving for for solace from that and 
I think people are recognizing that the need for reenchantment, it's not about, as a secularist might say, superstition or magical thinking. It's about wanting our brains to be whole. There's something wrong and we can feel it. Well, getting into also some of the aspects of technology or the rise of the internet, cell phone, mm -hmm. social media, all this other good stuff. I mean, it's led, I think, to uh, a much more receptive uh, quality or maybe not even receptive, but I mean, it certainly seems that it's made a lot of uh, things. I mean, staggering amounts of reports of uh, high weirdness, the Mandela mm -hmm. effect. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. the spreading uh, acceptance of psychedelics. And uh, again, a spiritual preoccupation centered around personal experience. Yes. Do you see the uh, technology also partly sort of driving this re-enchantment? I think so. I mean, technology is a tool, right? It can be used for good. If technology, the technology itself is neutral, at least until AI gets a little more sophisticated um it, it's it's what's done with it um and, and there's a i mean a lot of what's happening um in the world politically is being driven by some you know psyops <laughs> um and you know there there is a worldwide brain manipulation going on in terms of influencing public opinion i mean and framed that way but that's just another word for manipulating people's brains. Um, so, and it's very, both very considered and very unconsidered. It's considered in terms of getting the people who are, who are putting whatever it is out in the world, what they want, but it's very much unconsidered in terms of the larger implications of that. And so we, uh, we can so the technology is being used for harm but it also can absolutely be used for good both in terms of communicating these ideas but also in terms of actually using the technology i'm um uh you i'm involved with using um with doing some um brain remapping around using um cutting edge technology where i have a device like a sort of helmet that i put on my head every day that has big magnets in it and it's uh programmed specifically to my to my brain to help heal it and it's a company called wave neuro and they have been doing this work um ex uh, quietly working with veterans who have ptsd on one hand and elite athletes on the other in other words studying um optimized performance and healing um and they have the one of the largest databases of information um about this in the world and they use that to analyze your own individual and then to program the device it's actually um a lower level version that can be used at home of a technology that called um i think they call it mert it's an acronym m-e-r-t magnetic something resonance training um that basically um uses magnets to um to affect the brain and how the brain works. 
and I I was on a drug for five years um, that will keep the breast cancer for coming from coming back, but it but it also gave me brain fog for five years, and that's one. They've also done work with people getting chemo and um, brain and chemo brain fog, and that this this has completely turned around my head. It also feels really good. <laughs> it's like I, you know, a head massage, um, and uh, but it has. I mean, it's amazing. It's I've only been doing it a month. So the ketamine therapy and then this two examples of things that I have done that use cutting edge technology. Well, ketamine therapy actually isn't cutting edge. It's been around for decades, but um, cutting it use technology um, to affect and uh, the to affect that I've used. Um, uh, tones, audio tones, I, I have uh, the, the, to bring me into that state, to uh, the idea of entrainment, right, to train the, to, and using, um, and using tones to train the brain. I actually used the entrainment recording with the helmet the other day, it was really cool. So that's some of the things that I personally am doing with it. There are lots of studies and things being done, but um, you know, obviously medications, chemicals have been around for a long time. That's also technology. No, I mean, it's definitely fascinating to see how, I mean, everybody is kind of uh, discovering these unique paths in this day and age, uh, which again, I think sort of goes back to the uh, the need for the personal experience, but also yes. a personal path too, I think. Well, you know, if you're going to put it in religious terms, um, do you have a direct contact with God or, or are you in an organized religion where you're going through where you can only have have a have an experience of God if you are, um, if if you adhere to that system, which probably involves an intermediary, if not an individual, the institution itself. And I think uh, more and more people are questioning the institutions. And you know, religion was necessary at a, a certain period of time, you know, as a civilizing force, but at, maybe it's now having a negative effect in some cases, in that it is keeping people from having that connection. Well, I mean, do you think that though the I just feel like kind of the changing climate, I mean, with like mm -hmm. the UFO debate, where now you're starting to see the more kind of ultra terrestrial E3, yes. you know, Valakulian interpretations gaining mm -hmm. traction. I mean, so many people are believers in things like the Mandela effect. I mean, is this a sign that uh, reality is essentially now starting to shift to its own direction now? Possibly. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I think that's an interesting um, idea. I think that's true in terms of, you know, people are moving towards that. I, I think that it's, if, if people, if, if we are, if people are moving towards those things without, uh, the problem is that 
you also have uh, the problem. We may be moving forward, or it may be um, bread and circuses, because the people who are trying to take the world apart, in my opinion, well, it's one of you know, this is the people who are trying to take the world apart. Let's look at someone like Steve Bannon, Catholic, right? very much involved in idea the ideas of acceleration um uh, accelerationism of uh all the spiritual asks remember he wanted to open he was going to rent that get to get that monastery from the catholic church in italy and set up a little um i don't know uh monastic cult <laughs> of accelerationists what was he going to do there? You know, it's it, it was it, it was actually it was like he was thwarted in it, but but he had a plan. And if you think about who he is and what he's involved with, what I'm saying is those guys already believe in this. They're already doing it. Whether we believe what and one of the things that I say to people I, I talk to about this who are very secular and want to poo poo it is it doesn't matter whether you believe in it, it matters that they believe in it because they are doing things and making choices that are affect the the possible fate of the world um based on those beliefs they're already further down the road to reenchantment but using it in a in a very dark way like you know the not like the nazis did like many other um cultures did so that's also true with the technology and using technology for these purposes and the problem is that people are not educated enough about this and they don't know whether they wouldn't know whether they're choosing you know getting into a cult that the that, that is that is ultimately going to harm them and maybe harm the culture at large or whether they're really moving forward with it. We are so poorly educated in these things that I don't know if it's good or bad that people are moving toward that. It depends on the choices they make. Well, I mean, I think it's really more the political left than anything because I'm, you know, I mean, I know I've recently been doing a lot of stuff like with Kiwi Farms and some of these other really fringe things in the alt-right, and it was just really striking to me how pervasive magical thinking and all this other kind of stuff is in these uh, groups, but... uh, Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Bannon and all of that. the The right already is there. Yeah, I but mean, acceleration is, is just huge with a lot of these. It is, but but, it, but it's the dark enlightenment, right? It's 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 dark. It's it's not, it's not the light. It's not. I mean, I just, I feel like with like a lot of my, you know, kind of uh, more left-leaning friends, even if they do sort of subscribe to more of a metaphysical type of thinking, they're still sort of stuck in like the 70s with things like TM and what have you. Which Which is also a cult. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, you know, I mean, they're not really keen to things like synchromysticism or celebrationism or, Mm -hmm. you know, reality shifting, which seems to really gravitate more so to people in kind of the fringes of the alt-right and some of these other cultures in the Zoomer generation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's true, though. I also know, I do, I know people, I'm very much of the left, and I know people 
within my realm who also are involved with synchronistic all of those ideas i think yes you're right the right is more educated about it but the problem is that those ideas have been used to to uh control to pervert to oh yeah well you can see that with like the keck thing and just i mean yeah. the way that they were able to use the whole meme magic concept right well, yeah i mean what is meme magic but chaos it's just chaos it's chaos yeah, magic. Yeah. memes are sigils and it's chaos magic and and it's very powerful and so yeah yeah and so that's what i'm saying is that i don't know if the impetus toward that is going to save the world or destroy it and it is very much a um well i think that's between, where the a web... battle between dark and light just like you know it's sort of always comes down to that i mean i think that's definitely very much where the left is especially struggling with its secular mm -hmm. biases yeah it's just it's difficult i think for a lot of especially mainstream liberals to really wrap their head around how things like meme magic can have such a profound effect exactly exactly they don't understand i mean and and as someone who is very much on the left and very involved politically but also is very deeply involved with all of these things. I start to, I, I'm constantly trying to talk to the people I know on the left about this and saying, you need to understand this and what's more, you need to embrace it more because they are. And if you don't understand what's going on, you're gonna get hurt, if not destroyed. Um, and there's such, there is the idea is that you will be intellectually considered intellectually deficient if you espouse these ideas on the left. I have, I mean, I'm, I don't really, uh, I'm at a point in my life where I don't care what anyone thinks of me, so I don't care. <laughs> um, if, if, if people I know hear this show and think I'm crazy um it doesn't matter to me uh i think that and i think that a lot of I, and i actually think that there are a lot of people on the left who do understand this or would like to who are drawn to it but they're afraid of social ostracization of political ostracization of professional ostracization they're afraid people are gonna think they're they're um you know intellectually inferior no and i mean i think that that in a lot of ways is one of the uh the biggest issues that we face uh, going forward because mm -hmm. whether we like it or not the world is changing so well i also feel like one of the reasons why I, I mean i'm interested in the science to be interested because i am interested in science in general but i'm also interested in it because it's um an avenue into bringing people into this way of thinking that that they they can wrap their heads around it if they think oh well maybe there is a scientific explanation which means that people that i'll be forward thinking considered forward thinking instead of considered um a, um a superstitious backward idiot no, and i'm not saying uh, i mean obviously i'm i that 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 could be applied to me i'm not saying that i think that i think that that's the fear that people have 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, I do think that that's a valid point uh, that if you can find a way to, uh, you know, achieve some kind of scientific acceptance for some of these notions, it will be an easier sell to mm -hmm. the mainstream of the left. But again, the scientific community is arguably as dogmatic as any institution yep. out there. So, but there, are, but there are people studying it. It's yeah. I read through. That is uh, where I think the the psychedelic yeah. research has really yes. been a, a great kind of battering ram, you know, to sort of open up more to this more arcane type of thinking. Yes, absolutely, and it's and it's uh, it's really encouraging to me to see this finally coming to fruition. It's sad that it took so long. That you know that that I was working on this stuff like early '90s, so we're talking. What is that? <laughs> Thirty years ago. Um, that that you know, but but it is it, it's finally coming in coming to fruition. It looks like I mean, there's a I live in California. There's a bill right now that I think I think is going to pass. I think that the governor is going to sign it. That that is going to um, legalize research again in California. Legalize um, with I think with for psilocybin, which is great. It's it's um, it's a great tool, and it's also a great tool for treatment for depression. I personally have microdosed psilocybin, microdosed psilocybin mushrooms for depression, and it was um, prior to doing the ketamine. It was the best thing I ever did in terms of helping that. And the ketamine just is was a, a miraculous change. It I mean yeah, and it was part sort of set me on a path of saying I must examine my own brain scientifically. Well, and, and I do have to say to that end, they did the um, um, the EEG um, in order to program the helmet that I'm using, and it came back as very much not normal. And while some people might be upset about that, I'm like sending it to all my friends saying, see, I feel validated. I knew it. <laughs> so. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I could definitely see that. Yeah. Um, well, so beyond the, as far as like the dark side goes to all of this, uh, beyond mm -hmm. some of the political implications, what about like the possibility of an MK Ultra mock, well, I was going to say two, but more like probably Mach 8 or 9 or something like that at this point. Well, I think that that is absolutely something that we need to be very aware of. I, for one, don't believe that the, that kind of experimentation ever stopped. I think it just went further underground. Yeah, and, well, that's even more horrendous aspect. For, being further, like further, for, you know, it, it's, it's being funded somewhere under some light, line item hidden wherever. By the way, all of those acid doctors back then, they all claimed the guy who was who was funneling all the CIA money to them for research was Sidney Gottlieb, who was dead by the time that I met all these people. So they just, but they talked about him all of the time, all the time. And, and, and they all swore that they had no idea that he was, that the money he was helping them get was CIA money. 
just 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 wanted to put that out there. I was always amused by that because I don't completely believe it. But uh, but the point being that that the what that it was there were various levels of like foundations giving grants and that kind of thing. And so what they would hear about was Sydney says there's this new foundation and they're giving grants for this work and you can go get your work funded. Go go apply to them. I told I, I recommended this. There's no reason why that couldn't couldn't be happening now. So, and I think you know we we all you know there, there are lots of things whether it's remote viewing whether it's um, the 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 LSD experiments whether it's mind control through cults like Jonestown. Um, which was very likely a CIA op, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I mean, Leo Ryan was was um, the first person to really push for investigating the CIA, and he end up, and he ends up getting shot at Jonestown. His five children sued the C sued the CIA. They thought claiming that he that they were responsible for their father's death. They lost in court, but that's not surprising. But just to say that me claiming this is not exactly coming out of left field. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of things that could be ops if you look around. So yeah, I completely believe that. And I think that this has always been part of uh, the parapolitical is about in a very many very much about the control of the concept of reality and that's what all of this is do we live in secular reality is religion only about belief and can never be, and therefore unprovable and is and if when and when I say religion, I don't necessarily mean any particular concept of God. Um, I think that we tell ourselves stories that are based in the cultures we come from, and so to explain this thing that 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 exists in some way, whether it's in our minds or whether it truly is another quantum dimension, if you want to talk about it as science or another, um, or heaven or hell, if you want to talk about it as religion um, or any other um, aspect, religion's version of the other side. It's, we are more controllable if we are disconnected. Therefore, all of this is political because it's all about societal control. Well, that's very well said, Lauren. I do my best. <laughs> is there uh, anything else that uh, you would like to add here before we wrap up? I think that the idea of that this that it's your interpret that that this exists everywhere in every human in every one of us, and that it that anyone can access this if they really want to is incredibly empowering and it doesn't have to, and you don't have to do 
uh, go get Ganymede infusions, <laughs> uh, which, by the way, is a big deal. It's every other day for two weeks. You really have to take two weeks and do nothing else in your life. Um, and um, uh, you, don't, you don't have to go to that extreme to experience this or to rework your brain. It's actually, I mean, um, it, it's actually available everywhere. Anyone can meditate. The meditation that I was, which is a way of reforming your brain. The meditation I was doing was Zazen, which is the simplest, it couldn't be simpler. Count 10 breaths, start again at, at number one. If you lose count and end up at breath 238, don't judge yourself, just start counting again at one. And just keep on going. Uh, I mean, what could be simpler than that conceptually? It's it, what's hard to do is sit there and do that and not and and go inside yourself, which is what's key. Go inside your head, that idea of walking around in your head. So that uh, anyone can do it for free. Another good starting point might be uh, sitting down and watching everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh huh. And then altered states. Yes, and then altered. <laughs> And maybe a little bit of in the mouth of madness if you're yes you're yes that, yes yes absolutely a little in the mouth of madness would also be a very good idea that's a great place to end it thank you so much this was fun oh thank you and uh as always i want to thank you guys so much for listening hopefully you have enjoyed the show as much as we have recording it and with that i say to you guys as always good night and good luck to you all <laughs>
Isaac Vato about a Genghis Chapo. Come on, legalize it. No need to advertise it. The weed cures the cancer. Everybody even caught or realized if a farmer don't make cash money when we rock that stash, honey. Best believe they sooner take it out your ass, Sunday. Come on, the man ain't getting wealthy with people getting healthy, right? Talking about high AZ, talking about that BMC. We got no economy if we ain't got no enemy. The Popo and the BP, DHS and Army, Honeywell and L3, Razor Wires, UAVs, Officer, excuse me, please. Said I'm just eating my burrito, not the George you're looking for. See you all on payday, see you at the Safeway. Bisbee lives on crazy checks, BP on that fast pay. I sing my hooly blues, y'all. I don't make the rules, y'all. Just paying my dues, y'all. But I'm just saying, sorry, hippies. If Great White Father don't make payroll, forget about your maypole. Here, but that war administration's our whole civilization. What?